heed this his word. Shout it aloud. Do not look back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed it? Yet on the day of your fastings you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fastings ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and the Lord's holy day honorable. And if you honor it by not going your own way, and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. sermon this morning is entitled, This Day, Holy to the Lord. Let us pray. We thank you for all the many gifts of your grace to us, O Father. How you have considered our weakness as human beings, and how you have made such abundant provision for our need. Give to us the faith to receive with joy all your wonderful gifts, for we ask in Christ's name, Amen. 
Sunday edition of the Los Angeles Times has a classified section with row upon row of ads that read, Job pressures too much? Overworked? Harassed at work? Headaches? Poor sleep? Stomach aches? Depressed? What is it that they're offering these ad- in these ads? Therefore, work trauma hotlines. And for stress evaluation centers, they promise to you legal aid if you are being oppressed at work and disability benefits if you are suffering because of the pressures of work. But they don't promise what you really need, which is rest from work. God's word is unique in that it promises to you a way of rest from the fast lane in which you live today, a way in which you can survive the massive pressures of work in the modern 20th century world. In a highly industrialized state a few years ago, a woman was recently fined, was fined for not attending union meetings that were being held at 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday morning. I'm a Christian, she said. Isn't this a place where a person has freedom of worship? Yes, the court replied. You are a Christian. You have freedom of worship, but it may cost you something. And if the union has called its meetings at that hour... They have a right to do so and a right to fine you and to increase those fines week by week by week if you choose not to attend. Well, the attitudes toward the Sabbath day in America have changed drastically over the past 30 years. Just to give you a little feeling for how things have changed over the past 30 years, we were in Philadelphia for our General Assembly right near John Wanamaker's, one of the large department stores there. People up there can remember the days when on Sundays all of the show windows of John Wanamaker's were closed by curtains on Sunday so that no one could even do window shopping, much less actually come into the store and begin to buy things. God has given to us a day in which we are to rest. The world's attitudes may change with respect to the Sabbath, but the question is, what is your attitude as a Christian? Very often, as in many other areas, the Christian is taken up by the spirit of the day rather than recognizing the distinctive position that he has as one who worships the one true living God. As you look at these verses in Isaiah, where he says, If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to rise on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. As you consider these verses, ask these questions. First, what is the Sabbath? Secondly, how should men keep the Sabbath? Thirdly, why do men foolishly break the Sabbath? And fourthly, what are the blessings promised 
if you should keep God's Sabbath. First of all, what is the Sabbath? Now we have a a small number, comparatively speaking, of something called row houses in this particular metropolitan area. If you go to other areas of this country, you can find out what row houses really do look like. And there you will find row after row after row, houses brought right to the sidewalk, no side yards whatsoever, and house after house after house that looks exactly the same. The doors look the same, the windows look the same, the roofs look the same. Every now and then there will be a color line, and you can see one is one color and one the other. But as a matter of fact, you can ride for block after block after block and see houses exactly the same. Well, to you passing by, they may look the same. But to someone who lives in one of those row houses, one of them looks totally different. He doesn't have to count the doors. He knows that house. Maybe it's the supper inside cooking that tells him which it is. Maybe it's a pot in the window that you wouldn't even notice as a stranger. Maybe it's the way the curtains are hanging. But to him, that's a totally different house. Now, the sun rises and the sun sets on Sundays just exactly as it does any other day. Now, sometimes you may have a rainy day, sometimes a cloudy day, sometimes a sunshiny day on the Sabbath as you do any other day, but all of those days are the same. As a matter of fact, the leaders of the French Revolution were so determined to break the back of the distinctiveness of the Sabbath that they established a 10-day week. They were doing everything they could to break the pattern of six days of work and one day of rest. So they established a ten-day week. They rewrote the calendar. They weren't very successful. To a person who understands God's ordering of things, even though the days may look identical, you can recognize that one day is, as a matter of fact, different. One day is totally different from all other days. What is the Sabbath? It is a day of rest commanded by God. It is a day in which God says, now I want you to rest from all your labors. Sometimes, because children will be children, the parent has to command that which they ought to recognize is for their own good. When time for going to bed comes along, The child is getting so tired, so cranky, and you would think that he would want to go to bed. But no, the child wants to just begins to get even more hyper, it seems, at that time. Begins to activate his motor even more, perhaps to resist that idea of lying down. And the parent might suggest, don't you think it's time for you to go to bed? And you know what kind of response you get. Ultimately, you have to say, go to bed. It's for the child's good, but you have to command it. And we need to see the Sabbath commandment as something that is for your own good that God has commanded. Sometimes when you're snowed at work, your boss may see that pile of papers on the desk and your frustrated attitude and say, you know, you ought to take a day off. 
And the next day he comes along and the pile is even higher and your hair is even more disheveled and your temper is even shorter. And he said, you ought to take a day off. And then the day comes when he finally says, take a day off. That should be glad news for you. You say, but, but, you know, the, the audit is coming soon and if we don't get off, take a day off. Now that's what God says to man. He says to you, take a day off. I want you to lay aside your regular labors. I want you to sanctify one day to be my own in a distinctive way and to be sure you don't miss the blessing I give it to you in the form of a command. Take the day off. You can see the triune blessing of God upon the Sabbath. At creation, God commanded man to rest. In redemption, you can see Christ raised from the dead to establish and maintain that day, that image of rest. And the Holy Spirit was poured out upon that day that God has designated as a day of rest. In the original creation order, God said, or the scriptures say, that God made all things in six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested from all the labors of his hands. Wherefore, says the scripture, the Lord blessed that seventh day and sanctified it. Hey, you more creative than God? Even the almighty God created after a pattern of six days of labor and then a day of rest. You more productive than God? When you say some, hear someone say, the Sabbath is no longer for us, the Sabbath is for the Jews, remind them that it wasn't at Sinai that the Sabbath was blessed and sanctified. It goes all the way back to the creation of the world. And that command of God, that sanctifying of the day that God established then, goes back into the very essence of the nature of God himself. Out of his pattern of work and rest, God has established the Sabbath. Indeed, the Sabbath was confirmed at Sinai. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. The Sabbath is not for the sluggard. The sluggard cannot properly reverence the Sabbath. In six days you shall do all thy work. But the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord our God. In it you shall not do any work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor the stranger that is within your gate. One of the ten words. Everyone acknowledges that it's a terrible thing to steal. But do you realize that you're stealing from the crown jewels of Almighty God when you fail to honor and reverence him on the Sabbath day as he has commanded it? Murderers are to have no part in the kingdom of God. And Jesus said even if you hate someone in your heart, you've committed murder. And don't you realize that you murder yourself when you violate that need for rest that God has built into the world? Don't you realize you're murdering your neighbor when you force him to work when he needs the rest? Idolaters are to have no part in the kingdom of God. An idolater worships an idol. 
Do you think it's any less worse for you to fail to worship God according to the ordinances of his word? The law of the Sabbath was renewed by our Lord Jesus Christ. He did not remove the Sabbath. It is true that he spoke against pharisaical legalism, which dictated to people how many steps they could take on a Sabbath day. It's somewhat amusing to see the efforts of the Orthodox Jew even today to reverence the Sabbath day. They won't turn a light switch off or on. They'll invite their Gentile neighbor and have him come over and turn the light switch off and on. They won't turn the oven on, but they'll have someone to come and turn it on for them. In certain parts of Jerusalem, even today, a taxi driver cannot drive his his taxi because it will be stoned, no matter whether he's taking someone to the hospital or whatever, because of a certain concept of the Sabbath. Jesus spoke against pharisaical legalism, but Jesus also said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fill it up. And whosoever should break one of the least of these commandments and teach men so, he said, he shall be least in the kingdom of God. And in that context, he was speaking of the law and the prophets of the old covenant. Jesus didn't destroy the Sabbath. He enriched the Sabbath. He himself said, I, the Son of Man, am the Lord of the Sabbath. He didn't say the abolisher of the Sabbath. But the Lord, even as God originally was Lord of the Sabbath. By his death, Jesus Christ enriched the meaning of the Sabbath. Man is created, had a need of rest. But man in sin, even more so, has a tremendous need. Psychologically, physically, emotionally, socially, and otherwise. For a day of rest, a parenthesis from the burdens of this particular life. And when Christ died, he was providing for you the way of rest. The book of Hebrews says, There still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. By his resurrection, Jesus also confirmed and established the Sabbath. The power of sin was broken, and men now can enter into the joy of the rest that God has established. Often people ask a question. Why is it that we as Christians celebrate the first day of the week as the Sabbath rather than the seventh day of the week? Well, the answer from Scripture is that the resurrection of Christ was as significant an event as was the creation of the world. Let me say that again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead was like a new creation. It was a new ordering of the world. It was an event, though very small and in one place, it was an event as significant as the creation of the world. The creation of the world looked toward a consummation that was to come. The creation of the world set a pattern in man's weekly existence that made him look forward to a rest that was to come. So you had work, work, work. Work, 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 and finally, rest. But now that Christ is raised from the dead, we can see that we already have come into that deliverance from the burden of sin and the burden of life that God's word has promised. So by faith, 
you begin the week by rest. And out of that confidence that God will see that all that needs to be done will get done that week, you rest first, and then out of that strength, you work for the rest of the week. The Gospel of John chapter 22 times records Christ appearing to his disciples on the first day of the week. Acts chapter 20 verse 7 says Paul was preaching to the people of God while they were celebrating a common meal on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 16 2 says on the first day of the week let all your offerings be presented to God which suggests the context of worship. And Revelation chapter 1 verse 10 says that John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now what's the Lord's day? Isn't every day the Lord's day? Well, in one sense, yes. But in another sense, there's only one day that is uniquely the Lord's day. That is the day of the resurrection of Christ. What is the Sabbath? It is a day of rest commanded by God by which you anticipate the blessings of eternal rest. What is the Lord's Day for you? Holiday or Holy Day? Now that raises the second question. How should men keep the Sabbath? How should men keep the Sabbath? And the key to all of these intricate questions that people can raise. Should I do this? And should I do that? And can I do this? And can I do that? The basic idea is make this day Holy to God. Dedicated and consecrated. Holy to God. This day may look like other days, but it's not. Modern man has gotten so common and familiar with God and his ordinances that they have trouble. Modern man has trouble conceiving of holiness. One way to think about holiness is to think of uh, that institution called holy matrimony. What is holy matrimony? Well, it's a time when two people are consecrated and separated to be for one another and not for anyone else. These people are not to be dated any longer. They're not to be considered as potential marriage partners by anyone again once they have been taken away from the crowd of the common to become holy to one another. Now, that's what making the Sabbath holy means. It means you don't treat it like other days. The only thing that's necessary to profane something that is holy is to treat it as though it were common. You break the Sabbath whenever you treat it as an ordinary day, business as usual. Nehemiah got very upset when the people were coming into the walls of Jerusalem and trading on the Sabbath day as they did on any other day. He got very upset when they started piling up their goods the night before so they'd be all ready for the first thing the next morning to get all their work done. And he, in his zeal for the Lord, commanded them to treat that day as holy. Now that's the principle. In practice it means that in your deeds, in your words, and your thoughts, you are to make this day holy. By deed, what should you do? And what should you not do? Well, the scripture says, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. 
In it you shall not do any work. Whatever your daily work might be, at business, as a housewife, as a student, you're not to work on this day. You are to consecrate it to God as something that is separate and different from other days. Now obviously there are some professions where work must go on. The doctor, the nurse, the hospital has got to continue providing its services. And though you city slickers may not know it, on Sunday you've got to milk the cows just like any other day. There are certain kinds of work that must be done. But the basic principle is that you're not to use this day. You're not to make it a common day like other days and do your common work. Furthermore, you're not to engage others in work. Neither your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant. And you say, well, I don't have any men servants and maidservants. That day is gone. Oh, yes. Whenever you are served in a shop or whatever, you are engaging men servants and maidservants. They need a day of rest, justice. But they want to work, you say. Yes, but they need to rest on that day. Set aside those regular times when you engage others for the six days of the week and allow others as well as yourself to find rest on that day. What should you do on the Sabbath day? Well, you should make it holy. You should sanctify it. You should find this as a day in which you consecrate yourself to God in a unique way. You should dedicate yourself to him particularly through the worship services of the church. You should come and be with the people of God, fellowshipping with them, hearing the word of God, consecrating the whole of the day. The scripture does not say, sanctify 9 to 12 on Sundays and make it holy. It says, consecrate the whole of this day to the Lord. You should do God's work. Christ was attacked for healing someone on the Sabbath day. And he said, my father works until now and I am going to work. Visit the sick. Call upon new residents and neighbors in the community. Take a special time to instruct your children and to pray with and for them as you have promised to do on the Sabbath day. And if you can't think of anything to do to fill your hours on the Lord's day, just call a church office. We can find lots of things, many ministries that you can have on the Lord's day that you might serve him and advance his kingdom. Don't think of it as something that is a burden, but something as a joyful privilege that you have to trust God that he will provide for your material needs if you will consecrate this day to him. Isaiah goes a little further. He says, not only are you not to do your own pleasures, but you're not to speak your own words on this day. It's nice for families and friends to get together, and indeed you should, but be sure you use the day correctly. Don't be satisfied with just idle chatter on this particular day. Talk about spiritual realities. It doesn't mean that you cannot exchange the time of day and friendly greeting with people, but have a goal in mind of sanctifying, edifying, admonishing, encouraging one another on this Lord's day. Words include what you read as well. This is the time to fill your mind 
and your heart with the words of God. Take a special time for the reading of Christian books and of the Bible on the Lord's day. You don't have to fill your mind on this day with all the business affairs that are around you, that are pressing in upon you every other day of the week. On one of the classical music stations this last week, a beautiful piece of Bach was being played. And it went a little bit longer than the man had anticipated. And after the piece was over, the announcer came in and he said, well, that piece of Bach, as he said, went a little further than we had expected, a little longer, and so we missed the syndicated news. Should we have interrupted Bach for the syndicated news? Ah, no, no, he says. No. The news that you heard last night at 10 o'clock is really not much different from the news that you hear at 8 the next morning or the news that you hear at 12 o'clock in a short time. But to interrupt Bach, ah, no, no, he says. To interrupt your thoughts about the Lord on his day with the busy things of life. You don't have to read that newspaper today. You don't have to watch that television and listen to the radio today. Ah, no, no. You can saturate yourself with the riches of the truths of the word of God. And you can grow in your understanding and appreciation for the wonders of what God has made. Call the Sabbath a delight. Not something that is weighty and burdensome upon you, but a delight because it's an opportunity for you to enrich your life in a way that you could not in any other way. Now, why do men foolishly break the Sabbath? Well, one reason is a lack of interest in spiritual things. Christianity Today, just uh, this recent edition, had an excellent article on the Sabbath And it talks about why people avoid the Sabbath and how they do so. Some play the percentage loophole, it says. Well, two out of four Sundays isn't too bad. In baseball, that would make me a 500 hitter. Others attempt the have your cake and eat it too loophole. They attend the worship services and then proceed to cram the day full of what they really want to do. And the earlier the services, the better because they have the whole day to do what they want to do. The more theologically sophisticated go for the you deserve a break today loophole. They stay away from church explaining I've had a tough week. I'm exhausted. This is the one day I have to rest up or to do some things around the house that just have to be done. Didn't Jesus say that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath? Why? These efforts to find a loophole Well, it's because men's souls are empty, because they can't fill the hours of the day with knowledge of God and fellowship with him and his people. And so the spiral that has begun goes down. Because they don't feed their souls on that day, they become less and less nourished and more and more impoverished. How do you stop this cycle down? Well, you begin with a concrete action and you set aside this day to be a holy day and you ask the Lord to help you to turn that pattern back up again so as you honor and delight yourself in the Sabbath day, then your spiritual strength 
will grow. Do what you ought to do, and then your feelings will follow. Finally, what are the promises, what are the blessings that come from keeping the Sabbath? Isaiah the prophet says, If you will sanctify this day and call this day a delight, then you will delight yourself in the Lord. Notice that delighting yourself in the Lord is both a duty and a blessing. It is a duty and a blessing. Delight yourself in the Lord is a command. You will delight in the Lord is a blessing of the Lord. Well, how do you get started on this cycle? Well, you begin by delighting yourself in the ordinance of the Lord, in the Sabbath day. If you call the Sabbath a delight, then you will delight yourself in the Lord. Secondly, the prophet says, you will ride upon the high places of the earth. You will have great success. Chuck Colson, in his book, Born Again, talks about those years of his career in which he was on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in which he was totally absorbed in being the special counsel to the President of the United States. His office was right next to the Oval Room of the White House, and he was always on call. But he said there was an emptiness there. There was an emptiness. Even though he had greatness, look where it brought him to a great fall. But if you'll pace yourself, if you'll go for the long-distance run, if you will call the Sabbath a delight, then the scripture says God will cause you to ride on the high places of the earth. If you wish to be a success in your life, then you honor the Sabbath day. And God will see to it that you ride on the high places of the earth. That phrase, to ride on the high places of the earth, was used of the exodus. When Israel came out of Egypt with the Egyptian enemies washed ashore by the coming together of the Red Sea and they on the other side rejoicing, the scripture says God caused them to ride on the high places of the earth. All the way over into Canaan, their reputation went. Rahab the harlot says, we know about you. We heard what happened when you triumphed at the Red Sea. We honor you. And if you honor the Lord on his day, he will cause you daily and every Sabbath to experience a new exodus, a passing through the threatening waters and an overcoming of all enemies. And finally, he will feed you on the heritage of Jacob. What is the heritage of Jacob? Well, it's the promised land. It's the land flowing with milk and honey and overflowing with milk and honey. For that, it means right now, of course, a provision of all your material needs. But in addition to that, a provision for your spiritual needs. You will be a fruitful Christian, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. If you will delight yourself in the Lord's day. And as for eternity, he will give you the inheritance 
of Jacob for eternity. Because you have rested in this life, according to the command and blessing of the Lord, you will find your joy to enter into the life to come as you enter into the reward of your Lord. This day is holy to the Lord. Let us each in our own hearts consecrate all that we are and have to him. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we take your word at its basic meaning and we entrust our lives to it. Help us to find joy in the Lord as we commit ourselves to him. Bless your people by refreshing them on their pilgrim way. Provide for all their needs by your grace. For Christ's sake, amen. The closing hymn is one in which we consecrate ourselves to the laws of God.